11 a.m. at CATR 101.9 FM.
welcome to the Arts Report for August 13th, 2014. Tonight on the show, Rohit Joseph interviews some artists from the local Mobile Art Festival. Former Arts Report host Megan Thomas from CJSF talks with Christine Zay from Trip Theater about the intentionally named production Dudes of My Life. And last but not least, we'll speak with Mark Kleiner of the Mark well, Mark Kleiner Power Trio playing at the Fox Theater this Friday night. So it's going to be a good show. Stay tuned. Hi. Hello. Thanks, Rohit. I'm very excited that you yeah. agreed to co-host. Of course. It's, uh, I'm, I'm here often enough. Yes, you're the sponsorship coordinator now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I'm sad to see the old couch go as I arrived today. Oh, uh, yeah. And this is, this is just one of many changes coming Yes, we're moving in December. But yeah. the old couch, they called it the taco, right? Because it was like brown, <laughs> and if you sat in it, you just sunk into it. You just consumed into the abyss. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to do a shout-out to Leonardo. So Leonardo listens every week from Brazil. Oh, wow. He's that's a friend. awesome. Yeah, and he listened last week to Jaguar. Oh, great. And uh, he's listening now, and I know he's really sad because the Brazilian president or prime minister seems to have been killed in an airplane crash or something. So I think it's kind of breaking news, but I I will look it up later, Leonardo, and uh, read about it. Imagine how bad we would feel if our prime minister was unexpectedly killed in Mm -hmm. a a plane crash. We'd all be crushed. Um, So, and also to Peach and Fuzz. She's a burlesque dancer that I met at the Butch and Femme fashion show, and she was supposed to be a guest next week, and I was very much looking forward to it, but... Um, their event got canceled. So oh, just no. a shout out to her. I actually did see her perform at the Camp Death 3, the final summer fundraising event. And she and her burlesque team did this crazy kind of gothic horror burlesque thing. I've never seen the likes of. So <laughs> she's the most beautiful woman ever. So Peach and Fuzz, please come back on the show. And later we're going to maybe chat about Robin Williams if we have uh, time. Because that's kind of the thing that's happening yeah. to everyone right now it it is definitely a uh, an important like a zeitgeist moment yes. you could say yeah definitely so i'm gonna hand it over to you we've got some excellent guests yeah. in the studio and on the phone i'm just gonna find him miles are you there i am oh there. perfect <laughs> yeah great to have both of you uh here miles and laura as well laura lee coles and they are artists from the locomoto art festival and there's several workshops happening, some really exciting, innovative uh, things happening in this festival, blending artistic creativity with uh, modern day technology uh, in some fascinating ways. So, Laura, let's get things started. What is Locomoto Art Festival? Well, Locomoto Art um, is a collection of artists that work in multimedia and mm-hmm. digital art. And we've come together for an evening to bring people together to look at art and technology and nature. And we're in the lovely gardens of the Aberthal Mansion in West Point Great Community Center, mm-hmm. and they're hosting. We're also artists in residence there, so it's really through the uh, Vancouver Parks Board. So it's really been a great relationship, and, and they've essentially given us the whole grounds and inside of the mansion. Wow. So we have 18 artists and 20 installations, and they range from everything from interactive sound and visual installations to bio art. We have uh, algae and bacteria that are going to oh. be creating a, a bioluminescent oh, uh, that's installation. So cool. uh, yeah. 
and we have video feedback works and digital mandalas and digital tapestries. And uh, we have one artist that's taken some old 1990s digiboards, you know, those advertising digiboards, <laughs> and he's creating a textual poetic piece. And uh, we have L-Wire and we have live performances. So it's it, we're really excited about it. And um, yeah, so it's an evening where people can come and actually get away from all this craziness that they hear on, on the news. Mm-hmm. And, and they can actually come and have a meditative experience looking at some, some really interesting art in, in nature and in, in, the, in the mansion. That sounds, that sounds quite enticing. So when did uh, Locomoto get started? Uh, how long have you guys been around? Well, as a, as a group of artists together as a group, uh, it's only been a couple of years, but this, I'll be brief, but this actually came out of my research out of Simon Fraser University in the School of Interactive nice. Arts and Technology. Cool. And uh, with uh, Dr. Philippe Pasquet and Dr. Uh, Gramala, uh, we worked on creating a uh, sustainable power system that could go out in the field and enable artists to create works. And we went into lava caves in Hawaii and in the forests and things like that. And, and then afterwards, some of the artists wanted to continue working and it's a genre that I call digital eco art and it, it, it fuses the understanding of our use of technology with nature and humans and normally we separate all that stuff yeah. but this experience and through the research we, we noticed that people actually get very engaged and they feel like uh, words that have come out have been like wow this is pleasant it's magical I feel like I'm on a treasure hunt and <laughs> and, and so uh, the artists have, are all highly skilled and, and really excellent artists and uh, together we work together in, in, in this particular way they also have their own individual practices but locomotor art in this particular way uh, you know works out on the field and in, in nature and the theme of our show is called patterns yeah I noticed that and yeah. there's of course many uh, interesting patterns in nature, mathematical patterns, uh, fractals and all that. So is that the kind of things we can expect to see uh, in in the festival? Yes, very much so. And uh, one of the pieces, and, and it's great that Miles is here to talk about it, is, mm-hmm. you know, w- patterns aren't just visual patterns. They're sounds, okay. they're rhythms, they're migrations of people. And uh, like Sarah Samash is telling Traces, her, her uh, walk-based app and the workshops that she's presenting are about the stories of being, you know, Arabic and, and Canadian and, and the migration stories of the families. And then Miles' piece, uh, Chatter and Listening with Three Bird Boxes, um, hmm. he could talk to you more about it than I could. But it, there's patterns involved in, in, in that as well. All right. Well, we have Miles right here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your piece, Miles? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, so I think as Laura Lee was saying is that there are all of these patterns that we see in nature and by experiencing those we have this innate sense of you know, perhaps sometimes peace, sometimes enjoyment, but definitely a reflectivity on you know, our, our position and uh, our, uh, our, our integration with, um, you know, with, uh, with nature. And uh, one of the things that I was doing with my work, uh, Chatter and Listening, was I spent a number of years out in the uh, Australian bush uh, observing uh, Australian magpie species as well as other things like ants and things like that. And one of the things that I noticed was the uh, emergent kinds of behavior that they would have while they interacted not only with, uh, with the environment, so, you know, the trees and the landscape, but also with each other as well. And this got me to thinking that there's a, there's a certain order to this. So, you know, a, a pattern starts to emerge. Uh, and so doing further research, looking through uh, um, uh, author and scientist uh, Jacilla Kaplan's uh, work on the behavior of, uh, of, of magpie species, 
I was mm. able to have a look at the kinds of behaviors they have and then um, statistically model those uh, and be able to get computers to be uh, have those sorts of behaviors like the magpies did. So they would, uh, uh, the computers would be able to operate and behave um, individually, so they would have a, a certain personality. Uh, but then they could also interact with each other as well. So if you know one uh, part of the system, this is in uh, simulated computer birds now, was uh, you know feeling kind of frisky or, or playful, uh, then uh, another one might also come and join them and join them, and they would start to play together in a way. Um, and so by taking this uh, computer model of uh, bird behavior and then inserting it into sculptural nodes that were embedded with electronics, I was able to insert these out into the uh, environment, into natural landscapes and places, uh, thereby you know, creating a sort of a digital artifact of a, of a natural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. And so what, what do you... What do you think people would experience as they step into this uh, art piece? Uh, what do you? What, what kind of feelings? Could you describe that? Oh, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, as far as the feeling goes, a phenomenological kind of perspective would be a, 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 a reflection on um, the place of the artwork, the position of the person within this uh, relationship of technology art uh, and an embodiment of them in space. Uh, but as far as something that's going to be heard and seen goes mm -hmm. there, uh, inside bird boxes. So there's a reference to a um, you know, long cultural artifact of human society of creating these spaces where uh, animals can inhabit. Uh, and this speaks to somewhat about the idea of how uh, we're, as a species, as a culture, um, moving into animal environments where they lived happily for, you know, <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, and saying, well, look, you know, here's this place where you can live. Why don't you live in here? Whereas, you know, the entire landscape was a place that they could live before. So these are artifacts are then created with a, a digital entity inside them. So they're a simulation of, uh, of, of a bird. I mean, it's not a real bird. It's mm -hmm. uh, an artificial intelligence system that behaves like a bird. Um, so in a way, it's almost like a, a museum of the future where, you know, what are we going to be seeing? Like, are we, are we going to be hearing birds in the future? Are we going to be seeing them? Are there going to be any birds? Or is some sort of simulation or simulacrum uh, of, um, of that species, is that a, a sufficient point to be able to reflect and enjoy them what they were? Uh, so these bird boxes are also going to be emanating sounds. So the different behaviors that the artificial intelligence systems, the birds, go through are going to have different sounds that are associated with them. And they're going to be spatialized in a, in a, in a large uh, location outdoors so that when walking into it, you'll hear these um, uh, simulated bird species interacting and playing around you. Wow. <laughs> this is, so do you have a, a feeling that, uh, that by kind of immersing yourself in an environment like this, people might be more inclined to feel that they need to preserve uh, the natural environment, but at the same time uh, also kind of be in awe and, and uh, be in wonder of the fact that we can blend nature and, and the digital and the digital world. Like, how do you feel about that concept? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's like so many problematics with this. And 
um, like the, the, this notion of uh, you know going out into uh, the natural world, but you know what is that space anyway? So, for example, uh, the patterns at uh, Bathu, the mansion. I mean, that is like you know a, a pleasant space. We go there. There's trees. There's you know uh, there's the beach just in the distance. Uh, there's some lawn, etc., like that. But they're all sort of manufactured spaces. So whilst we can say it's you know out being in nature, I mean it's still a nature that we've imposed a particular structure on. Um, so by creating this uh, additional simulation or design to that space, in a way, it's re-engaging the fundamental manufactured design uh, of that space to augment it in some other way. Um, so where we have like you know, the sound of the of, of the trees, the sound of cars, children playing, and things like that, by augmenting that space further with uh, the sound design that the robots are emanating, uh, we're looking at you know creating a um, a further purposefulness to that space for people's enjoyment. Absolutely. So Laura, uh, what else, what other kinds of experiences will we be able to see along with Miles that? Uh, along with Miles's project, well, there are there are a lot of great pieces. I just wanted to respond real quickly that there's a lot of cognitive benefits that mm-hmm. we get from being in nature. And there's a researcher down at the University of Washington, uh, Peter H. Kahn. And, yeah, and he researched uh, people that were stuck in hospitals who could not get out and whether they would have any health. Uh, benefits from watching technological nature on flat screens. And he deduced that, yes, it's better to have some technological nature, Even if it's, no yeah. nature at all. Yeah. So so just to add to what, what, what uh, Miles was saying, but that's what all these pieces are about in locomotive art. That's kind of what we address is, is mm-hmm. what are the health benefits of having a new relationship with your digital technology through an artistic experience in natural setting. And those three things combined uh, can really be exciting. And a lot of our audiences. We had 575 people last year at Queen Elizabeth Park when we did a show. Oh. And we're really helping people come out to Aberthau because some of the pieces, like, for example, we're bringing in uh, Nicole Sansoni from uh, Eco Art Tech in New York City, and mm-hmm. that's a walk-based participatory piece that was created by Carrie Peppermint and Dr. Leela Christine Nadir. And they're, they've been in the Whitney Museum. Intermediate Hikes is a museum piece. And uh, we're meeting at Alliance for the Arts on that day on the... Um, 23rd at yep. 12 noon at 2 o'clock, and that's at uh, 10938 Howe Street. And what's exciting about that is you, you, you have the reverse relationship, but you're in urban environment with your cell phone, mm-hmm. but you're having nature tech. Uh, she'll guide you through some natural nature tech experiences. So that's pretty pretty interesting. And then we're bringing Patrick Lichty in from Chicago, and he's got a digital tapestry that he based on AR called Into the Wild. And besides this l- really huge tapestry, he's also going to be talking and doing a uh, talk about AR, QR, and the landscape. Oh, so just for our listeners, is AR, AR I believe, is augmented Arf, reality? Uh, yeah, augmented reality. And QR? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I just always call it QR. That's embarrassing. Miles? It's uh, those squares that have, uh, uh, like, black and white... Um, um, oh yeah, like the yeah, bu- you black. Yeah, you sold your cell phone yeah, up yeah, and yeah, launches into codes. a website. Yeah, I just wondered I what Q what stands. stands for. Yeah, 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 that's embarrassing. Oh no worries, I, I was <laughs> it's something that I always. Uh, but I've heard of the AR concept, and it's something that's being used a lot in marketing these days. As yeah, a, but it, it is a but good it's tool. cool to see it now being used as an artistic. Uh, as an artistic device. Well, as well. He, his talk will yeah. show people how to embed it into different in different ways into art and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's on uh, August twenty 
third at 6.30 at Aberthau. Uh, and that's at 4397 West 2nd. But some of the other pieces we have, like Rob Shrine's Digital Mandala, uh, we've got uh, rugs and arts over here on, on Elma and Fort. They're bringing a lot of their Afghan rugs and pillows, and people could just lay back and lounge <laughs> and look at, uh, at Rob's Digital Mandala as it moves and the patterns on the ceiling of, of the library. Oh, nice. Yeah, I and, think people will be keen on something like that. That yeah, sounds really and, cool. And, yeah, and, and we've got um, an interactive piece that I'm doing, not to talk mostly <laughs> about myself but no feel free laura it's called uh, a text or a corpus and it's interactive video that uses depth camera and along with rob shrine and dave leith who's a sound artist we have programmed the space to trigger six layers of video and and six layers of sound so when you walk into the empty space you can create uh with your ghost image uh different layers of patterns and textures on your body as well as create a sound a little sound composition and then when you walk out of the space it goes completely dark and silent so you know that that's a that's a lot of fun but we've got um we're working one of the things local motor art likes to do is we like to support emerging artists and we have mm-hmm. aaron rice who's uh, first nation mohawk and his his partner was um uh, new media artist terry haynes who passed away a couple of years ago and, and terry was a member of locomoto art and we're we're uh, assisting aaron he's creating a piece called two which is a memorial to his uh, partnership with terry of 20 years wow and he chose this particular cedar tree there's beautiful trees and, and and plants on the gardens and he's using that as a as a screening surface and um the tree has two trunks that exist side by side and the limbs that when they go around it looks like they're bracing each other but right in the middle of these two strong trunks is a little smaller trunk and div- divides it and aaron felt that the uh, trunk symbolized the point of death when he lost lost his partner so there's a lot of really special things uh dave leith's old stream actually looks at the history of the stream that used to run down the hill from sassamat and forth all the way down <laughs> across locano park and and down through aberthal mansion and it meandered all the way through jericho uh, park and mm-hmm. down to what is now formerly called jerry's cove down there at the beach and you know his performance will be you know addressing the memory and the sounds of, of that stream, but he's got a. He, there's going to be a huge white sphere that he's projecting the embryo of a fish emerging. So, so there's some really stimulating uh, things that people can actually see and experience. Um, and and if if I may, I just I just want to read a quote that really inspired uh, uh, us to to think about patterns as a theme. Uh, recognition of patterns and shapes can profoundly affect how we see ourselves in relation to each other and the world in which we live, to embrace ideas that unite us, not divide us. In observing connections, we can establish associations that lead to kinship and the possibility of peace. And that was written by Lori Bailey Cunningham in her 2010 book, The Mandela Book. And, and so peace and feeling good and having a moment of, of meditation and getting away from the onslaught of what is happening in the world on the news today. Mm-hmm. And sadly, if this news of the Brazilian prime minister lost, you know, that, that, that really rivets a whole nation. And, and so it's a way for people today, if, if you have the time, come out August 24th. We're starting at 830 at 4397 West 2nd Avenue and... Join us and, and, yeah. and let us share what we, we're doing with you. And, and this is something I think the whole family can enjoy because definitely because I, I love the idea that the, a lot of these pieces are interactive. Mm-hmm. As somebody who's an avid video game player, I always love uh, interactive uh, interactivity in anything. But especially with art, it's something I've never 
quite experienced before. So I will definitely be there. Yeah. And I, I think um, this is something that you can promote to all kinds of people, all kinds of age groups, because uh, this very visceral experience of uh, of an art exhibition is not, it's something quite unique and something that's not uh, easy to find in your everyday uh, monthly event calendar. So this is something yeah. that that happens once in a while, but it is special and it is and it sounds really immersive too and I, I love the themes that you guys have going thank you um these are very powerful poignant team uh, themes that are uh relevant to the world today but as you said can also offer a kind of escape from the daily stress and the mm-hmm. daily grind so yeah and uh, a new way to connect and a new way to connect yeah. and i just wanted a brief commentary about abertau mansion so I, I've never been to this space before. In, oh, it's lovely. But I, I've definitely driven by it, you know, just mm-hmm. passed by mm-hmm. it. So how come you guys uh, decided for for this space in particular? Well, because we're, we're artists in residence there. We applied, uh, and there's a new application actually going on. It's mm-hmm. due o- October 1st through Vancouver Park Board. And they've taken a lot of the old field houses that had caretakers in, them in, in the various parks, and they've actually turned them into artist studios. In exchange for doing community-engaged wow. work, the artist or the collective or the group of artists uh, gets the space. And nice. we were assigned, excuse me, Aberthau because uh, you know our work with nature and the beautiful gardens there and we were very fortunate to have that space it's great relationship stuff is great and we also were given uh, McBride Fieldhouse over here on 4th uh, which we do um, some workshops there as well and um What's really been wonderful is that it was built in 1909. This is what I know about it. It was built mm-hmm. in 1909. It's a Tudor revival. It's got amazing uh, in, ar- architecture inside and out. Uh, I think the original family lived there until you know the 20s or so, and then it eventually was given to the army during World War II, and they barracked officers and some personnel there. And then in 1974, it was given and handed over to the city of Vancouver as a community center. And there's some fabulous stuff going there. There's ballet classes, art classes, mm-hmm. preschool, exercise gyms, jazzercise classes, uh, you know, Zumba or whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, French, Italian, Chinese lessons. I mean, it's, it's a real community center. Great. Then all the more reason the community should come out in droves yes. to experience this. Uh, so let's just get a... One more time. Where can we... So it's Aberthau Mansion, August, August 24th, 24th. And what time can we We start we at 8.30. 8.30. And it lasts till about 11, 11.30. And uh, yeah. Sounds good then. Okay. How about we try and play one of the sounds? Uh, that We got a segment here from the uh, from the Patterns Festival. So uh, Sarah, how about we try one of the... I think we have a chatter sound, actually. And I think that might be from uh, Miles's piece, actually. And that, folks, was one of the pieces right there. How about uh, another one? Uh, Let's check out. All right, right here.
That is insanely cool. I closed my eyes for a moment and I I was transported <laughs> like out of the studio. <laughs> I fell asleep Miles in my chair. Some very deep work. Yes. Sure. Excellent. Well, I think that's uh, the time we have. But thank you so much for sharing. Um, Thanks for having me. For, for sharing this nice. event with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Laura. And thank you, Miles. Uh, I will hope to see you guys there on August 24th. Uh, we'll and there. Yeah, it should be a really fun time. And, you know, CITR is sponsoring this event. We, we try to encourage everybody else who's part of our community to go out, show your support for uh, great local art. Because... Uh, this is the kind of stuff Vancouver needs more of. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. The Vancouver Queer Film Festival is back for its 26th year in theaters August 14 to 24. More than 80 films from 11 countries, including Russia, Brazil, Italy, and the Philippines, showcase themes of gender identity, forbidden love, and culture. Super Pass is available now and tickets on sale July 24. For tickets and more info, check out queerfilmfestival.ca. Support the festival. Donate $10 by texting GIVER10, spelled G-I-V-E-R 10, to 45678. Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts on Commercial Drive and other areas at Bone Rattle Music Limited, High Life Records, People's Co-op Bookstore, Audio Pile Records, Bad Bird Media, Band Merch Canada, Vancouver Music Gallery, and Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studios. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. You're listening to The Arts Report. I'm Sarah, here with... Rohit. Rohit, <laughs> yay. So, Megan Thomas mm-hmm. was our most awesome arts director and host of The Arts Report for a long, long time. She got me started, and I think you started as well, Absolutely, right? yeah. I, I I even saw her in, at Catsalano uh, this year, and it was so cool to just kind of reunite and talk about the good old arts report days but she seems to be doing well at cjsf she's doing really well so she got hired on at cjsf the somewhat rival university (laughs) campus station well i went to sfu so i I feel i have a great love of both sfu and ubc but i told her you know what you have a career you have a career in publicity broadcasting like she's just she was so on the ball Mm -hmm. Um, and she did go on she does publicity for different um, arts organizations as well as yeah she's all over the place she's all over the place she sends emails at like a warp speed Um, (laughs) and she's does a great job like organizing the spoken word content of cjsf Um, and so she set us up uh, with shift theater we had christina andreoliff from shift theater on the show a while ago talking about the act one festival and now christina's involved in a new shift theater production production called i love it the dudes of my life <laughs> and any woman of a certain age has dudes multiple of course multiple <laughs> dudes in her life um and so this show is is uh looks really good and um so christina does kind of talking about her mom so 
Parents wish their children the best in life, at work, at school, and in love. In Dudes of My Life, Christina Andriola confronts the list of qualities her mother has provided for the man she will marry. The successful candidate will be tall, gainfully employed, a good Catholic, and have a good head of hair. Mm -hmm. Um, So she uses sort of personal and borrowed experiences to create a tongue-in-cheek examination of dating in the modern world. Um, Sources include the ubiquitous 90s rom-com, racy text messages, and this, this, I have no idea what this means, and the swipe right culture of Tinder. I don't even know what Tinder is, and I don't want to know. <laughs> don't, don't, okay, Rohit, what is I that? I've got to explain the context here. So Tinder is a dating app. Dating I use in quotations because really it's more like a hookup app. Like, And all people do in this app, it's kind of interesting how it works because really uh if you're a man or woman whatever you decide to look for if it's you know you can put same sex as well like if you can look for same sex as well as heterosexual partners and the thing is the people that come up man or women you just either swipe to the left or to the right and i believe if you swipe them to the left it means no good <laughs> swipe them to the right you're interested See, this is what i dislike but about but what's good about this, though, is that you won't know if you're rejected. Right. Because the only people who will, uh, the only thing you'd find out is if somebody did like you back. And really, that, I guess that that's kind of what makes it a little bit better. Like, And you can't message, you can't spam people who you don't, uh, you know, accept uh, by <laughs> swiping to the right. You know a lot about this. I My friends are on <laughs> it, and I've tried. I'll admit it. I've right. tried it. Oh, my God. The thought. <laughs> Someone like putting myself in the position where someone's like, mm, no, like I'm just not going to do that to me. I don't know. I don't like it. I'm in, of a certain age though, right? I'm yeah, like, if I can't yeah. meet someone through like my social circle mm-hmm. or through work, which I haven't, um, you know, I'm just, I just don't want to go down that road and I'm a new ager. We hold out for our soulmates. So I don't know. <laughs> it's anyways, what she's done is actually really hilarious. Um, let's play a little excerpt actually here. Uh, Megan's done a great interview um, and let me pull it up here. Um, I don't know how much we're going to play because we do need to get Mark Kleiner on the line. But first I'll play um, a little clip from Christina's performance and then we'll play a bit of the interview with her. But it's called This Is How I Do It, Dude Edition. This is how I do it, it's Tuesday night, and my phone's a-buzzin', my match is texting from last night, so I reach for my Tinder, then I check his face, also gotta make sure that I'm in the right place, cause I agreed to meet him, at a bar off me that always seems to see me, we're on my terms, it's in my hood, tonight, the summertime stress and the guys are looking fine, need to not flirt cause I'm waiting for my guy, gotta get my groove on, cause maybe I'll get laid, so I lean back and think and toss a little wink and order another drink, I'm bar side on Monday night, bring my guy with me to coffee on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, I get a table, but Friday's ladies' night at Cuervo's. This is how I do it, the guy strolls in the place, he sees my overly made up face. He takes a seat, he looks at me, and we kind of be awkward. You see, small talk works good for me, ever since I was a little lady, but now the talk is all me. My man starts to freeze, but really, it's weird and I want to go home. 
I try to ask about his life, his work, his dog. But I drink my drink fast and I'm already done. I don't have dough for the next one. Wherever he is, the server needs to come my way. I say enough is enough, I throw my hand up. Time for the next party. This is how I do it. This is how I do it. This is how I do it. How awesome is that? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We got we got a potential new rapper in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like everything she just described sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm sitting here with a effing stranger who's judging me and no. I think I guess that's kind of the point of it. But, it's making fun tapping. Yeah. And you know, it's everyone's doing it. I'm not doing it, but everyone else is doing it. That's for sure. And you know, I've actually some of the best married couples I know actually met, you know, on dating sites. So the new generation, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't like I said, I tried Tinder, but after a while after like a day or two of it, I'm like, this is really weird. Because you kind of tend to think about that stuff. Like like you said, you can't help but feel self-conscious. So, yeah, yeah it depends. It's it's not for everyone. <laughs> You're also a counselor, right? We're face-to-face -face people. It's like you smell them, you look at them, you read their micro facial expressions. Yeah. You know? I can't tell from some... <laughs> but but it, it, that was really cool though the the clip that you just played I, I, I was... but it just sounds apropos did i use that correctly i apropos. think so i don't even know what we that don't means. even know what that means <laughs> actually nobody does if you know what it means phone in and tell us but i think it's apropos to life since everybody's using these sites called the dudes of my life and mm -hmm. i better be really funny uh christina andriola was on our show and she was really great shift theater um so check it out at shifttheater.ca the dudes of my life august 19th to 23rd at 8 p.m the shop theater 125 east second avenue Directed by Danae Thompson, performed by Christina Andriola. And um, we're going to be giving away tickets on our social media. So definitely pick up some tickets and maybe we can review it next week. Hmm. Um, so it starts soon. Um, and so let's play a little bit of the interview Megan did. And then we're going to get Mark Kleiner on in just a few minutes. So hang tight. You're listening to the Arts Report on CRTR 101.9 FM. And my phone's a buzzing. My match is texting from last night. So I reach for my Tinder, then I check his face. Also gotta make sure that I'm in the right place. Cause I agreed to meet him at a bar off me that always seems to see me. We're on my terms, it's in my hood tonight. The summertime starts and the guys are looking fine. Need to not flirt cause I'm waiting for my guy. Gotta get my groove on cause maybe I'll get laid. So I'll lean back and think and toss a we little drink so and just order another it. drink. I'm far side on Monday night. Bring my guy with me to coffee on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, I get my face. Right. This is how I do it. This is how I do it. This is how I do it. Okay, so my name is Christina Andriola. I am the performer, one of the writers, and one of the creators of Dudes in My Life. 
usually I'm the managing <laughs> producer. However, I've been put on a strict ban by my colleague Nick and my lovely director to not do any producing whatsoever for Dudes of My Life. All that I need to be worried about is telling my story, writing out my story, and practicing my best Montel Jordan. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I've been in Vancouver Theatre for, I would say, seven or eight years now. And I came from Simon Fraser University where I met my director. My name is Denny Thompson. Uh, I'm the director of The Dudes of My Life. Uh, I studied at SFU, Simon Fraser University. I'm interested primarily in collaborative work, uh, although I do some writing myself. Uh, often my writing is of a personal and Aboriginal themes. Uh, and. The Dudes of My Life uh, is an exploration into uh, what is performance. I, I have some big questions about uh, the necessity of training or the function of training. And so working on something like Dudes with Christina is a, a good opportunity to ask some of those questions. Oh yeah, especially because I haven't had any training since my very first acting class in my very first year of university. <laughs> Which is back in 2007, so we're going on seven years. What was the moment when Dudes of My Life, uh, <laughs> the seed was planted? I had come home from a two-in-one. What's, yeah. what's a two-in-one? A two-in-one is when you go on two dates in one evening. So I had a seven o'clock and a nine o'clock. And I had a particularly awful nine o'clock date. And by the time I got home, it was about 12.30, one o'clock. And I walked in the front door, I saw Dene in the living room, told him that I had an awful date, and proceeded to tell him the whole story, and he responded with, Christina, if you ever want to do a show about all of these dudes, let me know, and I would love to direct it. Christina has a unique way of telling stories. <laughs> and I, I like unique, it was something that there's something interesting in the way she perceives the stories. Most of the solo shows I've ever seen, they, they aren't interesting to me because I'm telling a story. And then this happened to me. And then this happened to me. <laughs> Give me something to look at. Give me something interesting, right? So you so, believe in the kind of show, don't tell, school is theater? Because that's um, a big thing in film. I do incorporate it. I've done some film training, actually, when I was at CAP, and um, one of the things I've taken away, so if you take something, one of the the great epics, like uh, Moses or something like that, one of the old old epic uh, golden era films, they're two and a half, three hours long, and each shot tells one or two elements of the story, but you look now, and two or three seconds on film, you've got seven, eight, ten parts of the story being told very actively, and we as an audience are very capable of picking it up. So I think dumbing it down for the audience is not fair to them. I think it's insulting to your audience to not give them a lot to, to work on. I think if they're working, they're going to enjoy it more. In a lot of ways, film and the other arts are killing the theater, right? Because uh, theater can't be somewhere else. Uh, if you want to talk about extremity, you have performance artists literally laying on blocks of ice for days. 
or shooting themselves in the in the arm as just like that's their performance art. So we can't the the realness. There's we can't do it as real mm-hmm. uh, in any way. Uh, and you know, there's like so many other collaborative forms going on that theater needs to redefine itself in some way. It needs to find out why it exists. Why is theater still around? Why is it still a thing? Um, and for me, there's something about ritual. There's like a communal experience, uh, an unrepeatable experience. Theater, the liveness, right? Like it won't happen the same again. It's it's alive. It's living. And when it goes wrong, that's okay. That's okay. And then art generally, right? Like art is a series of experiments and you're probably going to fail on a lot of them. So how do you produce work that makes enough money to support itself and possibly you, but still expect failure on a very regular basis, right? Like I won't do that again. You know, like it happens all the time. I see shows that you, you have to be forgiving because you know, the artists are good artists. They just, this one didn't work. (laughs) turn this into a therapy session but tell tell me about your mother my mom is great I spent a lot of time with my mom and my sister growing up um, because my dad worked weekends and he worked nights so um, we would always we'd spend a lot of time like on the bus and she would she never wanted to help us with school because she had the mindset of oh I've already done school I don't want to do I don't want to go through it again However, when I first started dating, she um, was was there and um, encouraged. She's always encouraged me to like, I guess, re- reach for something bigger and achieve something bigger, like professionally in school and with my guys. So, <laughs> with every guy that I told her about, it was it was always a form of Chris. You could do better set your standards really, really high, and it's okay. And because my mom and I were super close from when I was small, obviously I go to her for advice. And when we talk about these guys and about about dating, and, and I approach it like I approach work sometimes. Like, here's a checklist of what I need to do and, and who this person needs to be and make sure that every little thing fits together. And so the last few years, we've been going through things that I should achieve, and they've turned into a set of rules. Mm-hmm. These rules are the way that you, Christina, can yeah. achieve yeah. <laughs> a high-quality man in your mother's eyes. Can you give us a little taste of, of, a, of some of the rules? <laughs> Maybe we can learn how to achieve a high-quality man. Well, the key to a high-quality man is a mother who is uglier than my mother. She's always said, Chris, you have to make sure that the mother is uh, uglier than me. And when we first started developing this show, I we phoned her and, and she goes, oh, well, if we both show up at the wedding wearing the same outfit, then his mom is going to look way better in it than me. So she plans ahead. She's a planner. Exactly. <laughs> Like someone I know, Christina. Like the Italian culture, the, the you're really involved in family, and when you're involved in family, and your mother-in-law is a bit of a, you know, it's not a fun time, <laughs> not a fun time. So it's more like a cautionary tale. 
Hi, we're back on the Arts Report. That was a bit of Christina Andriola talking about The Dudes of My Life, a show that you should not miss, August 19th to 23rd at the Shop Theatre, 125 East 2nd Avenue. So you can find the full interview on the CJSF Spoken Word page. Thank you, Megan, for that. That's great. I'm sorry I couldn't play the whole thing. Um, Want to talk about the Mark Kleiner Power Trio. Now, Mark's my very good friend, and he must have, like, I don't know, lost his phone. He already lost his guitar while he was here in town. <laughs> Luckily, he Typical left rock it, star. He left it in the <laughs> aisle of a health food store, got, like, basically a mile down the road and went, oh, I don't have my guitar. He went back. It was still in the aisle just sitting there. It's like a, a total custom. So his something must have happened to his phone. It like died or he like forgot it. So, um, but you know what? It's funny because I was like, you know, I want you to come on the arts report for the show. I'd been, I'd had this plan for like weeks, right? And then it turns out, oh, he's on Nardwar's show for an hour and a half oh, already. Yeah. And then he's like, oh yeah. And then I'm doing the Australian Canadian music show as well okay, on Friday. So, he- so I was like, um, you know, so we don't need to have him on, but he's a great guy. Um, and I've known him for years. So he's the youngest, born in Philly, the youngest hmm. child of a Lutheran minister and a chaplain. Um, and then he came, ended up in Vancouver, I guess with his band Sister Lovers. Um, and I knew him, a lot of partying. We were joking last night about, you know, I was like, yeah, rem-, you know, reminiscing, right? Yeah, the remember good that, old days. <laughs> remember that time I, I, I came home from a party at your house and I was like covered in whipped cream and, you know, <laughs> he lived in this one of those kind of punk rock party houses. Um, but in the end, he left Vancouver. He had a few bands. It was like Sister Lovers, um, Jungle, I guess. And he had started the Mark Kleiner Power Trio. And then he decided to go back to seminary school and become a pastor. And he's now a what? pastor. You didn't know this? No, no. I, I just, because you told me this guy went from punk rock party house to pastor. That's yeah, quite. He's the pastor of a church in bigger Saskatchewan, which is a tiny town huh. in rural Saskatchewan. and But he's like the rock pastor. So he does these <laughs> concerts with his um, parishioners and, and they just love him. Okay, he's that's a lovable pretty guy. cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I would go... In case you didn't know, I actually used to be relatively religious. My my family has a Catholic background, so I used to go to Mass. But, man, I never found it very exciting when they sung the hymns, right? It was very, like, la-di-da-da. Like, yeah, old school, yeah. Old school Latin. But this, this, is, uh, this is sounding quite enticing, going to a rock church. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, this concert that he's coming back for, um, it was kind of based on he did a concert with his congregation and they yeah. filmed it and it was like, you know, so he's just he's a fantastic musician. And, you know, a lot of our kind of group, you know, got really successful, like with the new pornographers. But um, he didn't have quite the same level of success, but he was definitely thought of as like one of the most talented people in our group. Uh, just he just oozes this charisma and and uh, music just kind of flows out of him and these kind of unique ways and so uh, I think he just decided to come back now the power trio was uh, Kurt Dahl from the New Pornographers and Pete Mills otherwise known as Pete Bastard and so they've both gone on you know Kurt's a professional drummer Pete Mills lives in LA now and he is like a super duper LA music producer and uh, Pete's a sight to be seen as I was saying earlier Mm -hmm. he's like just a rock star through and through. So they recorded an album for Mint Records, 10 Pop Rock Gems. 
Um, and it's really good. It kind of sold well. Um, and it says reminiscent of, of um, you know, Todd Rundgren and Warren Zevon. Um, so they put together this special show. They've been rehearsing all week. They're doing some recording. I'm singing a few songs. Yeah, that's what I was wanting you to mention. The fact that you will be there. The host of the Arts Report, Sarah Lapsley yeah, herself. Yeah, and we're so. hoping to get you out, Rohit. Yeah, yeah. And CRTR sponsoring the show. Yeah, it, w- it would be great to, to be there. I just need to make sure I clear up my busy schedule. But yeah. um, the venue, which, which is it's a Fox, Fox Cabaret, Cabaret, right? Yeah. yeah. That's that's going to be a good spot for this. And they were going to have like a Led Zeppelin. Dre- like, is it called Zed Dreplin? Yeah, but yeah. something happened and oh, they're no. like they've like something they're not playing or something weird and rock and roll happened. They're not playing so there there's another band they were talking about getting. Hmm. So yeah, it's been fun. I'm quite exhausted um from practicing and working yeah. and and uh but we're playing some fun ones. I'm not allowed to tell which ones we're playing. <laughs> so but yeah, I'm just doing a few. But they're going to be good. So we'll play one kind of as we ease out of the show. But we kind of wanted to talk about Robin Williams. Yeah, because you can't, you just can't not acknowledge the depth of such a cultural icon. I mean, some people may say, oh, like we all, you know, our our, our society tends to place a huge, maybe even exacerbated levels of sorrow and grief over celebrities. But I, I think Robin Williams is an exceptional case. Like, I, I I almost don't know anybody who hasn't seen a Robin Williams film, who hasn't grown up with him, essentially, especially kids my age. Like, they're not kids anymore. They're adults now. It's like 20-year-olds. 20, 20 uh, but even uh, my parents, we used to watch these films together. It kind of symbolized just family time like and then the films themselves were always great and then as as uh, his career progressed and developed i felt like his movie roles also mm-hmm. equally developed and matured and he got only better with age if and i was telling you sarah that i, I think even his serious roles are excellent if everybody mentions goodwill hunting but um Awakening is another. Awakening good one. isn't that the one with Robert De Niro? Yes. yes. Yeah. I still need to see that, but it's that, really good. That's actually his favorite. Yeah. Uh, his his own favorite film. Oh, I suppose. Really? Yeah. He was asked this in an interview with somebody, and they said he said that that was his his favorite role mm-hmm. he ever did, and uh, I need to. I think I need to make sure I see that this weekend because this weekend I'm now planning to see a few of these films and just yeah. kind of reminisce and what's what what's so interesting is that everyone has a response like whether yeah. it's that you know you saw his films on facebook i had friends that are actors or in film they all had like a story about oh he you know worked on a film set with him and what people universally said whether they were you know that had any contact with him was that he was just this incredible caring guy who mm-hmm. made time for everybody and brought sort of light into people's lives and and so there's just this outpouring on the internet of people telling their stories i i was kind of googling around and found a chat line it was just like some random person said their family went through this horrible tragedy the grandfather went insane and killed the grandmother and then killed himself and the family was like at the funeral and after the funeral went by a donut shop and we're just like kind of sitting there in shock after the funeral, kind of having, you know, a bite to eat. And then Robin Williams happened to be in the donut shop and came over to the family, like since they were in distress, came over and made them smile and laugh. Like, 
you know, he just touched all these people's lives, yet, you know, there's also a reaction from people because he couldn't help himself, right? He mm -hmm. helped others, but he couldn't help himself. And, um, you know, there's, like, I think it's caused some despair. Like, Of course, um, yeah. You know, that if he can't, if he can't sort it out, who can, you know? Um, so I have a lot of thoughts and feelings on that. Especially since you're involved in the mental health mm -hmm. uh, sector of things and you, you're in mental health care, you're a counselor. And it, it's, yeah, people, like you say, people say if, if Robin can't handle it. But I think it's because... It, it it's just really hard. It, it that's all there is to it. It's just really hard to deal with depression, and alcoholism is something I think everybody mm -hmm. knows somebody who's affected by both of these because they yeah. go hand in hand. Alcoholism usually leads to depression, yeah. and it, it's tough. When I, I mean, I'm personally affected by it, and I, I you know I have family members, and it's it's just it's rough, and, and you know because like you said. They can be gentle, they can be caring, they can be all these things, but there's a side that that is deeply flawed and still needs, uh, you know, needs, yeah. what can you say, just extra attention, extra care, yeah. and extra support yeah. more than anything else. I mean, we live, I mean, we have to look at our society at this point. If everybody's depressed, what does it say about our society? And I think why it's, it's upset people is, like, everyone gets depressed. Everyone feels it, everyone knows someone... You know, some people have mild depression, some people have serious depression. Where I caution about Robin Williams is that, you know, he, he was sort of rumored to have manic depression, which is quite a bit different. Mm. And um, he didn't really say, um, but he did have manic tendencies. So he was, in my opinion, probably on the bipolar spectrum. And bipolar depression is quite a bit different from regular depression. So I feel that's important for people to know because mm -hmm. regular depression is quite easily treatable bipolar depression is 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 quite a bit different and it kind of potentially involves brain you know kind of little brain seizures so it's possible he wasn't getting the right treatment for wow, his depression yeah. and he was also that's just my humble opinion um but he was also had high risk factors and i think this is important for people to know that uh, older men have the highest risk of suicide especially if they have health problems money problems which he apparently did and this long history of being ground down by depression. So, yeah, I mean, there's this outpouring of affection for him. And it's just, it's really, I hope it will result in us just taking a good hard look. You know, yeah. I think it's the media too, right? Where this society of envy and, you know, everyone wants to be seen and everyone feels they don't have enough and... You know, and always having to manage your image, uh, like especially as an actor or celebrity, that that's your whole life is making sure you do seem like he has to maintain this. Uh, it is kind of a facade when you when you think about it. It's having to always maintain the mm -hmm. good nature and goodwill. I mean, he was genuine, but it's a facade when you you can't you can't let yourself truly express your depression. You can't express how you feel because then. It all, it's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. It's considered counterproductive. So it's really hard uh, to balance that. But what's great to see, though, is that lots of people have ha have this love for him and affection. But it kind of reinforces another important thing, which is whoever you do know and care about, just never be afraid to show that affection outwardly, even if it's your parents. It's, mm -hmm. And I mean, this I speak for myself. Even if it's my brother, my close friends, just 
always be open about the fact that you're there for them like it ne- it never hurts i feel mm-hmm. never hurts yeah and doing that inner work like he had all this love and adulation but didn't count for anything right like in the end you can have all this love people love you but if you don't feel it right then mm-hmm. you got to make it known to people yeah like your friends and family got to make it known and make sure Sometimes you got to do a little extra digging and prodding just to see if somebody says mm-hmm. they're fine. Do a little bit more than yeah. just letting them, the, you know, of course, you don't want to be annoying or pestering. But do it. I feel like from time to time, I've always had to prod a little deeper until somebody, you know, opens up. We definitely need to know how to ask about yeah. suicide. And, and there's a thing called mental health first aid that the Mental Health Commission, you know, it's a course you can take. And it's like, how to know, right? Mm-hmm. And I found when I probe, people will often say, yeah, you know, I have been thinking suicidal thoughts. No. And then you have to decide, is it just thoughts or do they have a plan, right? But yeah, it's too bad. And uh, yeah, but I hope something good comes out of it. I think the one good thing that is already coming out of it is that it's bringing these issues again. I mean, has to be brought up again and again, unfortunately, due to tragic circumstances. But mental health is being talked about in the public discourse of mm-hmm. things. And that's probably the best thing that can that can happen out of this, I feel, is that it's now out in the open. People uh, are having conversations and trying to make steps to take care of it. Yeah, good. Excellent. Well, I guess it's time for us to go. It was great, Rohit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me as always. Uh, and uh, it's been a great episode. I-, I feel we got lots of things done today. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so we're going to leave you with the Mark Kleiner Power Trio. Oh, yeah. Come out August 15th to the show at the Fox Cabaret. It's an early show, which is great. When you get to my age, you're like, <laughs> it ends at 9.45. Excellent. <laughs> I'll be home by 11. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and there's going to be, you know, Mark is quite off the wall. So there's going to be different dramatic things happening. So um, this one I actually think is a cover when Phil Seymour wrote it. I don't know. Baby, it's you. It's a famous song. Here's the Mark Kleiner Power Trio. Come back next week for the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM.